You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould reacting today to the bombshell report released by the Ethics Commissioner that backs up her version of events in the SNC-Lavalin affair. The Prime Minister, it shows, was in clear violation of conflict of interest laws. Nadia Stewart has Wilson-Raybould's first television interview, including her thoughts on how Justin Trudeau responded to the report. You know, I embrace this opportunity of being an independent. Jody Wilson-Raybould is hoping voters in Vancouver-Granville will trust her with four more years as their MP. She's already begun campaigning here. We're knocking on doors um, four days a week and, and more. In a riding where many have opinions about the fallout from the SNC-Lavalin scandal. I think, yeah, there is a good degree of, of vindication uh, for Jody Wilson-Raybould. How she was treated when she was in government was absolutely not okay. I'm very disappointed in him. I was actually, when, when he was first elected, I thought he was going to be a good person for our country and that's been very disappointing. And even though I disagree with some of his conclusions, uh, I fully accept this report. Ethics Commissioner Mario Dion released the long-awaited report Wednesday, concluding Prime Minister Justin Trudeau broke the Conflict of Interest Act by way of improper political influence. Reaction has been swift, with former Health Minister Jane Philpott saying the Prime Minister owes Canadians an apology. Wilson-Raybould agrees, though she does not anticipate a call from the Liberal leader offering her the same. It would be an opportunity for the Prime Minister to start rebuilding trust where trust was lost, um, to apologize for what went wrong. And I welcome the Commissioner's report that speaks to, as I said yesterday, a vindication of the independence of the Office of the Attorney General. Wilson-Raybould says she has no regrets. But there is a lesson to be learned. We need to make sure that we are constantly vigilant about what makes Canada such a great country. And that is ensuring that we uphold the fundamental tenets of our democracy. On Thursday, Trudeau reiterated his position. He is not apologizing, though he says he accepts full responsibility. As for Wilson-Raybould, she's setting her sights on winning this riding come October hoping her record over the last four years is enough to convince voters. Back to you, Chris. All right, thanks very much, Nadia. So they are known for their crusade against frivolous, wasteful government spending, but now the tables have turned somewhat on Speaker of the House Daryl Plekis and his Chief of Staff Alan Mullen. The B.C. Liberals questioning the merit and cost of a recent road trip taken by Mullen across the country and several U.S. states. Richard Zussman explains the purpose of the trip and how Plekis defends the $13,000 decision. These are the people in charge of keeping BC's legislature safe. Now the chief of staff to the speaker, Alan Mullen, is looking elsewhere to potentially make changes to improve security. These are routine issues that can be dealt within the government. I'm not sure why Mr. Mullen needed to travel uh, across Canada and of course into seven U.S. states. Mullen now back home after wrapping up a 10-city tour of legislative and capital buildings. The trip went from Victoria to the capitals of Alberta, Saskatchewan, Ontario, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, Montana, Idaho, Oregon and Washington. The cost to taxpayers, 
$13,000. But essentially, we've spent $13,000 so Mr. Mullen could have his excellent summer adventure subsidized by BC taxpayers. Neither Mullen or Speaker Daryl Plekis were available today after multiple media requests. The trip was originally budgeted to cost $10,000. And this watchdog believes that any trip, no matter the cost, should be pre-approved. There does need, however, to be some recognition in the Speaker's office that, rightly or wrongly, Mr. Mullen has become a bit of a lightning rod. Mullen was behind the investigation that found inappropriate spending by Clerk Craig James that led to his retirement. Speaker Darrell Plekis and Mullen were highly critical of trips both James and Sergeant Arms Gary Lenz went on. As for this summer's trip, Mullen was accompanied by an associate tasked with keeping notes. In Salem, Oregon, the pair met with staff from the Speaker's office, the Clerk's office, the Sergeant-at-Arms office, and more. He didn't necessarily indicate what what the end goals were. I mean, truly, it was really more about fact-finding, and we just really were open with him and sharing with how we function. Global News reached out to officials at every stop and have confirmed he did not meet with the Sergeant-at-Arms in Saskatchewan or Alberta. Mullen's full report on his trip will be available in the middle of September. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Transit police are making an appeal to help identify a man allegedly involved in a SkyTrain groping. This is the man they are hoping to identify. He's described as South Asian, possibly mixed race. In his early to mid-twenties, 5'7 to 5'9 inches tall. Investigators say the incident allegedly happened July 25th between 29th and Edmonds stations. The suspect boarded the train, sat beside the victim. His leg was pressed up against the victim. The victim shifted in her seat in order to give the suspect more room. He then put his hand on the victim's thigh, left it there for several seconds before he stood up and stepped off the train without ever saying anything to the victim. Through a video review, we saw that the suspect had actually been on the trains for nearly an hour and a half prior to this incident, and he was getting on and off at various stations and even backtracking at times. So we're also aware to the fact that there may be other victims out there. A 25-year-old man is recovering from a gunshot wound. He was shot in an industrial area at Keith Street near Joffrey Avenue in Burnaby just after 4 o'clock this morning. A dog team was brought in to help investigate, and officers were also seen using a metal detector to scour the road and an area near some nearby businesses. RCMP believed the shooting was isolated and targeted. RCMP holding a show-and-tell of sorts today following a substantial drug seizure. The illegal drug lab discovered in a residence in the 16300 block of 14A Avenue. Police seized significant amounts of illicit street drugs, drug paraphernalia, pill presses, and even firearms. Two people were arrested and subsequently released pending further investigation. It's believed the operation is linked to the Brothers Keepers Group, who are involved in the ongoing Lower Mainland gang conflict. Absolutely, it's significant. Uh, the fact that uh, you have this volume of, of tablets that are being produced just locally in in a uh, you know uh, urban neighborhood, um, I was quite surprised to see the uh, the quantities there. More market volatility today, with stock prices fluctuating wildly as fears about a possible recession linger. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria right now with more on 
how the fragile state of the global economy could impact us right here in B.C. Keith. Yeah, Chris, you know, there's been some signs for some time that B.C.'s economy was slowing down. Employment levels remain high, uh, but the real estate market cooling off when that was the big uh, economic performer for years and the forestry sector really going into the dumpster. So today, Central One Credit Union released its analysis and basically not great news, but it's sort of a mixed bag of things. First of all, economic growth expected to slow uh, down just 2.2 percent, the lowest level since 2015. The big reason for that is a big, again, a slowdown in in the residential housing starts. That's a real drag on the economy when it used to be the biggest boost. But they're offsetting this. This is where the good news comes in. All that money that's being spent on capital spending, projects like LNG Canada, Patello Bridge, Trans Mountain Pipeline, hospitals, schools, you name it, that offsets the negative stuff. A point Brian Yu, the chief economist at Central One Credit Union, made to us today. I think that we're going to be drag, we're going to be uh, boosted in large part by uh, the major project investment, whether this is the Site C, this is the uh, uh, LNG projects across the north, as well as the, a lot of uh, government infrastructure projects on schools and hospitals within various regions. Adding to that, its population growth remains quite uh, solid in, uh, in British Columbia, and that's going to be driving or supporting uh, much of the consumer demand that, uh, that uh, over the next couple of years. Keith, what's the best guess about how long the slowdown in housing construction is expected to last? Yeah, Brian Yu thinks it's going to continue for some time yet. He expects about a 4% drop this year and then a big 15% drop next year. He says what's being sold are pre-sold units. The new construction really isn't happening at a, at a accelerated rate as it was a few years ago. So that, that drop in housing is going to continue for some time yet, and that's going to be a continued drag on the VC economy. All right, thanks very much, Keith. Right. Keith Baldry reporting from Victoria. The Capital Regional District is putting the brakes on an idea for free bus passes for youth. While Victoria is going ahead with the plan, the Transit Commission has decided against launching the project region-wide. Kylie Stanton explains how it will impact passengers and how Victoria will fund its plan. Compared to paying for a car, gas and parking, this is no doubt the cheaper option. And for Victoria students, it soon won't cost a thing. We are still going ahead in the city of Victoria with free use transit starting this fall. As long as they have a Victoria postal code, they'll be able to travel throughout the capital regional district. But the program is limited to the roughly 6,350 youths in the city who are of an age to travel by bus alone, despite pressure from students around the CRD to expand it to the other 12 municipalities. We decided that uh, given the need to expand service, particularly into areas of the region that are underserviced, that we would focus all of our resources at this time on expanding the surface and, uh, service and on transitioning our fleet to zero emissions. On top of that, there's the matter of how the municipalities are going to pay for it without raising taxes. Generally, after review, most jurisdictions find they have to have some kind of third-party uh, payer. Victoria will be covering the costs through its parking revenue that currently brings in about $8 million a year. But as of May 1st, the city started charging for parking on Sundays, which is expected to add between $600,000 and $1 million to the pot. Those attending UVic and Camosun College already have passes as part of their fees. Students say the payoff is priceless. So when youth start taking transit, um, it creates a habit for them to ride when they're older, and it creates a whole new generation of transit users. I really think that it's so important as we are seeing more drastic forms of climate change. Students around the CRD have made it clear they're not giving up. The City of Victoria's program is proof it can be done.
and hopefully uh, in the future this is a program that could roll out across the region at the same time as we expand uh, and provide uh, greater service. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Right now though, Squamish Search and Rescue cautioning the public tonight about safety after a string of recent rescues. They've been called out 14 times in the last 15 days. Sarah McDonald has more on what's making some rescues even more challenging and adds advice for summer fun seekers. They're not paid to do it, but these search and rescue volunteers in Squamish have been working around the clock in recent weeks. With the, the nice weather and the long weekend, our, our call volume has really been uh, uh, taxing on our team. Another technical rescue of a backcountry climber in the remote Tantalus mountain range Thursday, putting rescuers in a precarious position once again. The 14th call out for crews here in nearly as many days. The subject this time suffering a broken ankle. We were able to quickly access the uh, patient, assess and splint her ankle and fly her back to a staging area, at which point she was brought back to Squamish Airport. The climber in this case was well experienced and well prepared. But industry experts and rescuers say an increasing number of backcountry enthusiasts in the region aren't. There's a number of factors as to why the Olympics. It's going to be the Olympics, you know, films like Free Solo. It's 3,200 feet of sheer granite. Just climbing is becoming a bigger, bigger presence in pop culture. As the sport becomes more mainstream, it's also becoming more popular. The type of people who are coming has changed and they're not perhaps as prepared and as well versed as, as they have been in the past. Prompting the renewal of an all too common warning. People need to understand that it does take time for search and rescue to come out. It does take time for search and rescue to potentially get to an area, not because we're not ready to respond, just because of factors such as weather. Which means if you do run into trouble, you could be waiting hours to be reached by rescuers, or even days due to challenging conditions. With two climbers killed in the region's unforgiving mountainous terrain in the past month alone. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Abbotsford police have now determined a report of a backyard stranger assault did not happen. Police put out a warning to the public last Tuesday when a woman reported being grabbed by a stranger in her backyard just after midnight, August 6th. The investigation is now wrapped up and Abbotsford PD says the woman's report was influenced by a traumatic event that occurred in another province earlier in her life. Investigators are now working with community partners to ensure that she receives appropriate support. The victim has offered an apology to the community for causing the alarm. BC Transplant now says it was a misunderstanding that led to an Indigenous man being left off the liver transplant wait list. David Dennis suffers from end-stage liver disease and learned he was not on the provincial waiting list for a new liver because potential organ transplant recipients must abstain from alcohol for six months. The Union of BC Indian Chiefs challenged the policy taking it to the B.C. Human Rights Tribunal, saying it unfairly discriminates against Indigenous people who have disproportionately higher rates of alcohol use disorder. However, B.C. Transplant now says the whole thing was a misunderstanding because the alcohol abstinence policy was removed from its, con uh, from its clinical guidelines in May. And we'll continue to follow that story for you. Doctors and nurses at Vancouver General Hospital expect to perform even more life-saving lung transplants in B.C. thanks to a new program using new technology. As Ted Chernecki explains, it'll reduce wait times for transplants by extending the life of organs 
outside the human body. And just a heads up, if you're squeamish at all, you might have a hard time with some of the images in this story. Cheryl's been waiting 13 and a half months for that all-important call saying new fibrosis-free lungs have been found. You're always hopeful. Yeah. You know, this, this call is for me. And now there's reason for more hope. This machine at VGH allows a set of lungs to live and breathe outside the body for up to 12 hours. It allows us to take organs that may have uh, sustained significant damage in the donor and uh, recondition them prior to transplant. A nicotine-laced organ is not a candidate for rehabilitation, but many other issues can be resolved where previously the organ might have been outright rejected as a candidate for transplant. We can give antibiotics, we can give solutions that help the lungs uh, essentially dry out. The last two years in British Columbia, we've done 50 or more transplants, so we would think about adding uh, anywhere from 6 to 12 transplants per year. And in the future, the same technology could be used on other organs like the liver and heart. But lung reconditioning starts now. So we would take lungs that are similar to this and try and recondition them. And there's uh, a criteria that the lungs must meet. If they recondition, we would actually be able to transplant them into patients. So this is going to increase our donor pool that we have in the province. That increased donor pool is good news for patients like Cheryl because she needs lungs from someone her height and her blood type. The odds of that happening just went up. So it means life for all of us, and that's how I look at it for me. This also gives everyone another reason to sign up to donate your organs because there's a better chance than ever that they'll actually get used by someone. Ted Chernecki, Global News. A new luxury condo in Vancouver is hoping to make a big splash with a very distinctive pool that you can spot if you look up, way up. The Ark is a new 30-story building at the corner of Expo and Nelson. It features a sky-high swimming pool that connects two towers. Swimmers can look down 60 meters through the pool's clear acrylic glass bottom onto a plaza below. Concord Pacific says the span, which contains the pool, can support the equivalent weight of more than 1,600 vehicles. So, you're safe. Today marks 75 years for our sister station, CKNW, and what's a milestone without a celebration? Meteorologist Christy Gordon is in New West at the Anvil Center, where people have been reminiscing all day long, Christy. Some amazing stories today, that's for sure, Chris. And I've got Simi Sarah here with me. Uh, I had to pull her out of the party because we're not yeah. broadcasting anymore. Uh, now it's the VIP event. So thank you so much for being here. Simi, you've been with the company for 10 years. Yeah. Tell us about some of the memories for you. You know what's amazing for me on a day like today, Christy, is just like how many people came down and talked about their close association with CKNW. I had one of these 75th anniversary pins. I This is my third one today because I kept giving them away. And the gentleman that I just gave them to, he told me he'd been listening since 1959. I couldn't believe how many copies of the history of CKNW that I signed today that people brought out of their collection. And even for me, like working here 10 years, that's nothing. Like, that's a drop in the bucket for CKNW. My mother listened to this station. She used to come home and tell me, like, Gary Bannerman said this and Rick Honey said this. And so just to be able to still be working at a station that has as much importance to the community as CKNW does, it's just like an honor every single day to come into work. Yeah. 
it is so nice to see the community come out yeah. and be able to see the broadcast live and as you said share some of the stories of their feelings behind the history and the longevity. Totally. Sean Webster came by today. Sean Webster used to do traffic of course in the CKW airplane when it was the only kind of eye in the sky and you should have seen how excited the crowd got when they saw Sean Webster there from the Frosty Force show yeah. and when they heard Frosty you know was on the show like the excitement is still there. It was just great. Great time we had today. It sure is. And uh, so the VIP event now is going on. I can send you back there in a second. <laughs> uh, Chris, I'll throw it back to you. It really has been incredible to hear all the stories and uh, have the legendary people from CKNW all these years come back. Not you legendary. as well. Future legends. Future legends for Future sure. Le- yeah, what a, great, uh, what a great thing to experience and to be a part of. I love the daily debrief on the Linda Steele show. A scene of utter devastation in a London, Ontario neighborhood. A debris-filled crater now marks where a home used to be after a massive overnight blast. Even fire officials were left stunned by the sheer magnitude of the explosion. Several other houses were also heavily damaged. At least seven people were injured and nearly 100 others were evacuated from their homes. As Shalima Maharaj reports, the disaster was sparked by a crash allegedly involving an impaired driver. There's insulation and pieces of roof and bricks as far as Quebec Street and a pair of jeans in my backyard. Just thing went sky high. From a raging inferno to the vaporized aftermath. Eight to ten homes severely damaged, one entirely decimated. From this vantage point, you can see just a glimpse of some of the debris that's been left behind. This is what investigators are going to have to sift through. You can see the glass that's been blown out of some of the window frames. They're also dealing with issues of structural instability. It was after 10.30 Wednesday when first responders converged on London's Old East Village neighborhood. Police say a woman plowed into a home, hitting a gas line. In my career, I haven't seen an explosion of that magnitude. Uh, It was significant. Miraculously, there have been no reported deaths. When we arrived on scene, most of the people were already, already outside of their homes, strictly due to the amount of noise, the flashing lights that were going on when we arrived. As a direct result of that, I think that mitigated the potential for a lot of injuries that could have occurred here. The driver of the car had to be pulled from the vehicle. 23-year-old Daniela Lease of Kitchener is now facing impaired operation charges. Seven people were treated and transported to hospital, among them two police officers and four firefighters. There's a lot of debris everywhere, but it was all part of the house that exploded. Jamie and Michael Jack were among those evacuated. They sought refuge at their nearby boutique. They just grabbed like all our just like life documents and just shoved them in a bag. Because um, I was kind of thinking like, oh my gosh, like what if our house catches on fire? Like, like what do we like need? Shalima Maharaj, Global News. A Russian flight crew that safely landed a stricken jetliner are being praised for their quick actions. The Airbus A321 made a belly landing in a cornfield outside Moscow soon after takeoff for Crimea. It lost power in both engines after colliding with a flock of gulls. Only one of 233 people on board was hurt seriously enough to be hospitalized. Russia media are comparing the incident to the miracle on the Hudson landing in New York in 2009. That's when a U.S. Airways flight landed in the Hudson River after a bird strike with no fatalities. The Kremlin says the pilot will be awarded a national honor. To another dramatic plane crash, this time in Tennessee. The aircraft went off the runway at an airport and on board with the two pilots, retired NASCAR driver Dale Earnhardt Jr., his wife and young daughter. 
A scary moment at a small airport in Tennessee. A plane carrying retired NASCAR driver Dale Earnhardt Jr., his wife Amy, and their one-year-old daughter Isla crashed while landing at an airport in Elizabethton. He ran off the end of the run runway through a fence and onto State Route 91. The plane burst into flames. Authorities say they were on the scene in just a few minutes. Dale Jr.'s sister Kelly tweeted that all three Earnhardts and the two pilots were safe and taken to a hospital for further evaluation. We were very fortunate. Uh, it looks very bad. Dale Jr. now works for NBC Sports. He was scheduled to be part of the network's coverage of Saturday night's race in Bristol. The son of NASCAR legend Dale Earnhardt, Dale Jr. was one of NASCAR's most popular drivers until his retirement in 2017. Dan Sheneman, NBC News. The Philadelphia Police Commissioner is expressing amazement, along with a lot of other people, that no one was seriously injured or killed after a tense seven-hour standoff with a heavily armed man. That's still ringing off. Give me SWAT, ace that. Long gun, ace that. Six officers suffered minor injuries while trying to serve a warrant on the narcotics suspect. The suspect, Morris Hill, was barricaded inside with weapons, ammunition and hostages, two officers and three civilians. Hours later, SWAT team members were able to rescue the five inside. The alleged gunman spent time on the phone with police negotiators, his girlfriend and a lawyer who eventually helped convince him to surrender. Before it was all over, the gunman had fired more than 100 rounds. The suspect had spent most of his adult life in and out of prison, and police say he did not want to return to jail again. In health matters, recreational marijuana became legal less than a year ago, but a survey from Statistics Canada has found that about 4 in 10 pot users are still buying their cannabis illegally. StatsCan has been tracking cannabis consumption habits every three months since marijuana was legalized last October. The latest data from the National Cannabis Survey also found that men are more likely to use pot daily or weekly than women and are also more likely to use it for non-medicinal purposes. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A group of kayakers gets a frightening reminder about the power of Mother Nature. That's coming up right after the forecast with Christy, who's out in New West, joining in the celebration. Joining in the celebration a little bit later, we'll get to her, about the uh, big anniversary, 75 years of CKNW. Well, we've been talking about it all week. It went on the air on this day in 1944. World War II wasn't even over. And when it went on the air, it was originally a country station, the first country station in Vancouver. It's and they bit. thought, you know what, let's leave that to someone else. And they basically became like a variety show. They had everything on that station for years now, their news talk. But they became the powerhouse radio station in this city and across Canada. They were a radio station everyone wanted to emulate. Ask anyone who's ever worked there, or still does, and you'll get numerous reasons why CKNW became the top dog of Vancouver radio. CKNW had everything. CKNW offered everything. Very strong newsroom, play-by-play -play sports, uh, funniest morning and afternoon drive shows. Personalities, the music, and also, but the, the newsroom really held that together. The, the newsroom was the backbone of the place. Another reason they blew competition away was when Hurricane Frida hit Vancouver in October of 1962. That's when CKNW News became the lifeline for worried citizens. Just a short time before that, CKNW had decided to invest in standby power. 
we were the only station north of Portland that was still on the air after Hurricane Frida. And Bill Hughes, our manager at the time, says to this day, that's what really put CKNW on the map. Good morning, I'm Warren Barker with the NW News to 7... For 32 years, the NW Newsroom was under the leadership of Warren Barker, whose work ethic and news judgment were legendary. It was Warren Barker, it was uh, John McKittrick, it was George Garrett. Uh, so many great news people uh, went through that newsroom. They also had a brilliant promotions department. Everyone knew who they were. Yeah, they, they uh, whenever the top dog, when you remember all those things that they did, the top dog, that was fantastic. They were always out there. They always had the trucks out there, the car out there doing something. And management there did something else to make them great. It was led by a program director named Hal Davis, who believed that if you didn't have the right people in place, if there were people beating you elsewhere, hire them. I kept pinching myself, saying, am I really working here? Because, you know, the list of names, uh, I knew them all, and uh, it was great. All of that that we just heard added up to CKNW becoming the top dog in radio. That was the, that was the guy, yeah, the NW top dog, and even incorporated in some of the jingles, and uh, because uh, in, the, in the day, that was an expression, right? You're the top dog, you're number one. That shirt doesn't look very Hawaiian to me. No, it doesn't. We've still got his old Hawaiian shirt <laughs> hanging right. in the rafters right yeah, there. Like I a retired say. number. Good to see Wayne Cox and all of those uh, great legends. For there CK. were many of them. Yeah, no doubt. Great series, by the way, too, Squire. All right. Now we're going to check in with Christy, the big uh, party uh, for CKNW going on mm -hmm. out in uh, New West. And a bit of a cool down coming for us in the forecast, it sounds like, Christy. Yes, a bit of a change, that's for sure. Chris, you know, I just wanted to mention one neat thing that I learned today. CKNW was the first uh, talk show radio station to go to a news on the hour format in the world. The first in the world to actually change that. Of course, they do it every half hour now, but I thought that was an interesting little stat. Yes, a change is on the way. First, though, temperature-wise today, it was hot. Again, a lot of humidity out there. At one point, we had a humid, uh, relative humidity of 70%. That has dropped now. We're close to 50 now, but that meant that Humidex level was really high. We had some fog out in the Boundary Bay area. That sun, though, warmed things up and it was able to break through. And it was a lovely day, that's for sure. Uh, I wanted to also tell you that northern BC has the potential of snow. Did I say that? Yes. By Sunday, temperatures are going to drop. Those are the highs. But overnight, temperatures will be low enough that some higher elevations areas could see snow across northern BC. So we'll be tracking that through the weekend. And that is the change that's also going to affect our area. The good news is it's really only cloud cover that we'll see. So for tomorrow morning, some cloud across our region by the afternoon. Expect partly cloudy skies, a slight chance of showers in the Fraser Valley and across Vancouver Island, but more cloud expected over the weekend. There's your Friday forecast, though. Mostly cloudy across the north. Across the south, we'll have that slight chance of showers and a risk of thunderstorms. For our region, it's only a slight chance out in the valley. Otherwise, some cloud cover tomorrow. It's the weekend we're watching, mainly cloudy but mainly dry Chris we may just see a little bit of drizzle and I'll be back in a little bit we'll go into the VIP reception and show you that oh are you going to put that on camera I don't know if that's advisable we'll see <laughs> yeah, I know <laughs> you know those radio guys thanks very okay. much Christy appreciate it back now to that massive clip uh, cliff collapse we showed you just a fraction of earlier it was caught on camera
As you can see, a group of 18 kayakers narrowly avoided being crushed when a large section of a cliff came crashing down on Michigan's Lake Superior as they toured the area. A drone captured Monday's collapse. Park officials warned there's little anyone can do to avoid getting caught in the collapses because they happen occasionally without notice. Close call. See, and that's why my only outdoors activity is golf. That's right, nice and safe. Never played underneath the cliff. No. You know, it's manicured, the trees are... Yeah. That's right. Uh, on, on the topic of sports, mm -hmm. um, it's shocking to think summer is coming to a close. And I know. We're talking NHL. I know. It's not very far from now, uh, the Canucks will be back at training camp in That's Victoria right. this year. How much would you pay for these kicks? How about $50,000 U.S.? That's how much a California man apparently just made selling these 1972 Nike Waffle Racing Moon Shoes. Only 10 pairs were ever made. The soles were made with an actual waffle iron and the shoe was stitched with fishing line. The owner, Dave Russell, received the shoes at the 1972 Olympic trials when he was trying to secure a spot as a marathoner for Team USA. The shoes were bought by a hotel chain that wants to build a Nike-themed property. They've seen better days, but Certainly, I don't know. Hold a valuable place in sneaker history. The whole idea kind of creeps me out. A little bit. Someone's old shoes from 1972. <laughs> they don't even look nice. Uh, I know. Uh, Wayne Rooney is making the trip to Vancouver with DC United, which I would have to think means he plays against the Whitecaps 7 o'clock Saturday night at BC Place. Whitecap fans have not been given much to watch this season. Zlatan Ibrahimovic visit earlier this year. That was fun. And another great Wayne Rooney playing here would also be worth seeing because you probably won't see Rooney ever play here again. Well, playing here again is something Sean Lemon's doing now, a reacquired from the Argonauts. He played with the Lions last year. First drive for Winnipeg ends up in a Nick Dempsey touchdown. 7-0, not looking good for BC. Now looking worse, Chris Matthews. This is 51 yards, that is. That would lead to a field goal. But the Lions start to get some breaks. But before we show you that, another sack on Mike Riley. This is number 30 already this year. The breaks are these. This looks like a reception by Drew Wolitarski, but when he tries to pull it in, he bobbles it, and the Lions pick it off. That would lead to a field goal, Malik Harris. And then another deflection and another pick. Junior Luke grabs this one, and that would lead to a Lions field goal late in the second. It's 10-6. I think it's now 12-6 for Winnipeg. I know you could say this about every NHL team. When you look at the draft list, you see guys that teams foolishly passed on. But let's do it with the Canucks. 2010 draft. Vancouver had traded away most of their early picks. But they still had a shot, a couple of shots actually, at taking Vancouver giant Brendan Gallagher. But instead, the Canucks drafted two players who never played a game in the NHL. Peter McNally, I think, and Adam Polasek. They left Gallagher for Montreal. So did everybody else, but the Canucks left Gallagher for Montreal late in the fifth round, and now it's clear he was one of the steals of 2010.
Training camp is still a month away, but Brendan Gallagher only knows one speed when he's on the ice, and that's full throttle. Gallagher, who's now 27 and entering his eighth NHL season in Montreal, has been doing on-ice workouts since June to get ready for the upcoming season. It's his attention to detail that's made him one of the premier goal scorers in the NHL. You're always trying to, to improve little things, pick up a little half second here, uh, shoot the puck, you know, maybe uh, a little bit harder there, and those are just the things that you do in the summer. This is kind of the time of year where you can improve your little skills and uh, just kind of improve as an individual, so when you go back, you can help your team. Flyers caught on a change, Gallagher scores! His first career hat-trick, Gallagher! Gallagher scored a career-high 33 goals last year, and his 64 goals the past two seasons are the 22nd most in the NHL, tying him with the likes of Sidney Crosby. And he's not afraid to reveal his trade secrets. There's a simple formula. You outwork your opponents, you get to the net, you get to the dirtier, you're going to get the results he wants. So it's, it's always been that way for me. Um, you just try and you know, find ways to get in those areas, work, battle, uh, use your teammates, trust your teammates, and, and good things happen. The fact he's a 30-goal scorer making $3.5 for the next two seasons makes him one of the best values in the entire league. He will get a big pay raise soon, but that's never motivated him. He's as popular as any player in Hockey Mad Montreal amongst fans and teammates because of the way he plays. He'll be an unrestricted free agent in two years, but can't imagine playing anywhere else. I'm pretty fortunate to be able to play in Montreal. Uh, they're, they're awesome fans to play in front of. They're very knowledgeable about the game fill the building every night and they give us a lot of energy so I definitely don't take that for granted I know the the history that comes with, with putting on that sweater every night and you just try to honor it the best you can uh, there's a lot of banners in that rafter for a reason and uh, you know our goal is just trying to add one more BMW Championship round one Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin Adam Hadwin this is a birdie on number 11 to make it to East Lake oh yes I think that's impressive how about this one birdies on his car coming today. up weeks I this say. is like putting it from Chilliwack to Abbotsford that's on 18 567 tied for eight needs to be in the top five to advance to the final playoff tournament next week Tiger Woods needs to be 11th or better 67 a bit of a rough day I mean he's under par but he's only one under tied for 50th that's six off the lead one of the leaders is Justin Thomas, who won the FedEx Cup in 2017. This is a 57-footer, and this is for birdie. Corey Connors, the other Canadian in the field, is at minus three. Oh, how about that? Justin Thomas. Okay, I said the Canucks drafted Peter McNally instead of Brendan Gallagher. It's actually Patrick McNally. But Peter or Patrick, it doesn't matter. It was still yeah. a terrible draft pick. Yeah, that's right. The point was well made, yeah. and that's maybe the only mistake yeah. you've ever made. All right, ever since 1934, Dreamers have been lining up for a chance to win that PNE prize home. I know you did a story on the very first one yes, that was ever won. I did. I also did one about how some people use the bathroom at the current one and it doesn't work. That's true. They that's true. It. Most of the homes have ended up becoming homes for BC families throughout the province. But as Catherine Urquhart found out, there's only one that in the history of the fair has ever left the country. Come on in, Catherine. Thanks. Frank and Lynn McLaughlin adore their cabin in Point Roberts. Love it. It really is. It's, it's like coming to a different world almost. The 650-square-foot Panaboat is largely in original condition. We've left everything the way it is. That little 
thing in the corner there, believe it or not, is a hot water tank, which is original. This fridge, still working condition, and still has the price on, $218.50. They bought the cabin 17 years ago, and soon after, they heard it has an intriguing past, a mysterious beginning in Canada. People would walk down the street and say, oh, you're the new people that bought the P&E prize home. We were quite shocked. Verifying the home's history, which appeared to date back to the 1950s, not so easy. P&E records were destroyed in a flood. And then I see the, the garage as well. Kelly Marcinu with Panabode yeah. agreed to inspect the home, and she did a deep dive into company records. And we're very confident that this is a Panabode from 1951. We think it's actually our 91st Panabode. Turns out the 1951 PE Prize home didn't come with property. It was sold by the original owner and then was moved across the border to Point Roberts. We're able to see in 1951 there was a PE Prize home uh, sold to Ferris. Um, and then we were able to match that up with what Lynn and Frank said about Ferris being one of the original owners. This piece of PNE history was priced at less than $2,000 back in 1951. Now priceless for this retired couple from Surrey. It'll never leave our family as far as we're concerned. I'm sure our kids and grandchildren and their kids We'll enjoy it for years, and it'll probably stay exactly the same it is right now. Catherine Urquhart, Global News, Point Roberts, Washington. Cool story. Thanks to the McLaughlins for sharing that with us. And uh, while we're talking about history, 75 years to CKNW. The party continues, Christy. It sure does. Yeah, VIP reception going on. We've got uh, Larry Giffords. Uh, he's our national director. He uh, talking about how CKNW has changed over the 75 years. Everyone enjoying themselves. Some big names here, Chris. I'll throw it back to you while we uh, continue on with the evening. All right. Thanks a lot, Christy. Thanks for watching.